The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, um, today we're going to be having another one of my rants. <laughs> I can't help it. I, I get up in the morning, and the first thing I do, well, <laughs> one of the first things I do is um, to turn on the computer and look at Google, Google News, and see what kinds of outrageous things are in the news that day um, and how I might be able to comment on them and try to bring some sanity to this increasingly crazy world that we're living in. Um, so I've been, um, I've been printing out some uh, articles that I wanted to talk to you about today and I know I must have, I'm sure I've printed out more than we're going to be able to have time to get to, but I'll try to at least touch on some of them. Um, one of the new uh, stories is that you're going to be hearing more about um, is the story about the psychologists who are being targeted by a, um, a lawsuit. Um, these two psychologists who designed a, the CIA torture program. Their names are James Mitchell and Bruce Jessen. They are former Air, U.S. Air Force trainers, and uh, they t- their expertise was in teaching military members how to resist interrogations if captured. But they they turned the the tables, so to speak, um, because now they also uh, you know that that work seems to be. Uh, um, noteworthy or respectable enough, um, helpful enough. But um, they then were apparently asked and complied with um, being contractors to help run the interrogation program. So they are being sued um, for human rights violations by committing torture, cruel and inhuman treatment, and war crimes. Now, it's interesting that um, these three men uh, are, who were prisoners and who were tortured, um, that they are suing these two psychologists rather than some, um, you know, rather than the CIA or maybe the CIA is, in, is part of it also. But in any case, you know, I was kind of feeling, I thought to myself, um, well, you know, of course, psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, um, any kind of doctors, you know, it's first primum non, non nocere, in other words, first do no harm. So I was thinking, you know, how ethical is it for um, two psychologists to, um, to be involved in creating and uh, sort of supervising, somehow consulting to, making sure it happened, 
um, torture. Now, that isn't to say, and I know this is going to be very controversial, but that isn't to say um, that I am against programs, U.S. programs, using torture. Because, quite frankly, after 9-11, I think whatever it is that we can do that might give us a shred of intelligence that could help protect America, quite frankly, I think is okay. Um, I mean, yes, it's awful and everything, but (laughs) so was 9-11, and so was other terrorist attacks that have happened since then and are being plotted right now. So it's not so much, I mean, I think if I had been asked um, to come up with some kind of program for torture, what would work the best, or how to do it, or whatever they were asked, uh, I probably, after 9-11, would have contributed my expertise as well. However, (laughs) what makes this really outrageous is that these two psychologists um, received $81 million to act as contractors. Now, do you think if James Mitchell and Bruce Jessen were getting, oh, I don't know, let's say $8,100 each or even $81,000, let's say, for their time, you know, the number of hours that they put in and so on. Um, you can even say, you can even figure that. But $81 million, it seems to me that that was enough to bypass whatever ethical dilemmas um, these two psychologists had. And um, that is what makes it really, really <laughs> horrible, really dirty, really um, obscene. Now, some of the um, experiments that they did or some of the the tortures that they came up with came from experiments that had been done years ago on learned helplessness. Now, some of these experiments were, for example, um, there were experiments done with frogs where you put a frog in a big pot of boiling water and you gradually turn up the heat. Now, um, after a while... You know, the, there's no, and there's no escape for the frog. Um, after a while, the frog gives up. At first, he tries to swim out, to climb up the walls, to do what he can to get away. But at some point, he gives up because he learns that um, nothing that he is going to do will be able to escape this t- torture. So that is called learned helplessness. In other words, they learn... Um, uh, to be helpless, that there's no point in anything else that they could do. So um, that was at the base of uh, some of their torture protocols. Um, so we're, we'll have to see what's happening. The, the men who are, who are suing, there are three men who are suing these psychologists. Um, one one uh, case is on behalf of the family of Ghul Rahman, who was an Afghan man who died while in CIA custody. Then there's Suleiman Abdullah Salim, a Tanzanian, a Tanzanian, a man who was held in custody in Afghanistan for five years before being released. And Mohammed Ahmed Ben Soud, who is a Libyan man who was held by the U.S. in Afghanistan from 2003 to 2005 before the CIA sent him to Libya. And then he was imprisoned by Gaddafi's regime until 2011. So there apparently was a Senate Intelligence Committee report that was issued last year, and um, these men were mentioned um, in this report. 
And um, presumably that is how they or their lawyers came to know who the psychologists were who dreamed up uh, these tortures. So, again, you know, I mean, um, like one of them said, I went through my ethical obligations and decided for me the least worst choice was to help save American lives. You know, again, I can, I can, the least worst, <laughs> he didn't have to do anything. But again, I, I actually can see, um, you know, could, could see if you have the expertise to, um, to recommend certain tor- torture programs or things that might be most effective, and we're in a war. Um, you know, all things are fair in love and war, including the war on terror. So it's not that that I have a problem with, but you know, I have a feeling that when the jury, he, you know, some of the jury will probably be against torture, some of the jury will be for torture, but I think once they hear that these men received $81 million, they'll realize that it wasn't, they didn't really have to struggle that hard um, in their ethical dilemma. It was more about how they were going to spend the $81 million. Now, um, one caveat, this just has come out, and um, we don't know a lot yet or as much as we will know about the psychologists and the men and so on. There might be more that um, could somehow, I don't know what, but could some, I mean, maybe if they gave the $81 million to a charity, like to the victims of 9-11, that would be a mediation, you know, something in their favor that uh, would show that they were really out to help America. But if they just pocketed it and bought yachts um, or, you know, spent it on other expensive toys, then I really don't see any excuse. So that's the first story. That's, that's a new story that's coming out. Then um, we have, well, before I go into the Oregon shooter, because, uh, uh, you know, not just to rehash the old stuff, but to tell you about, because a lot of the things that, that um, one can talk about in regard to uh, Christopher Harper Mercer, the Roseburg Oregon shooter, is to be distinguished from the other Oregon shooter. I mean, there are so many school shootings these days that you now have to distinguish them by what city um, they shot shot in, um, but you know the the significance of that, uh, and we've gotten so desensitized. Oh God, here we're going to hear about another school shooting. The the significance of this, and it it just blows my mind that um, there are people like like President Obama who just want to blame guns uh, for all of the college shootings, all of the the mass shootings. Um, school shootings, any kind of shootings, um, when in fact there are certain, uh, I don't know, criteria, but certain um, traits that are repeated again and again and again in all of these mass shootings. And so I'm going to want to talk about that um, and how, what we can, I mean, you know, the idea, talking about learned helplessness, um, the idea that we sit by and say, I don't know, I don't know what to, what to do. Maybe we should get rid of guns. Yeah, we should get rid of guns. Um, I mean, you know, it's because people are saying that because they don't want to deal with the other issues, which are a lot harder 
um, and which more people can relate to, so they certainly don't want to um, feel guilty themselves as far as what they're doing in their life. And so the things that can be changed aren't being addressed. Instead, it's this every time there's a school shooting or any kind of mass shooting, it's the same old, same old with um, people for guns, people against guns. I mean, really, <laughs> it's not about the guns, folks. Um, it's about other deeper problems that our society needs to fix. And um, I think we need to find a way, unlike the frog, to jump out of the pot before we get cooked. So I'm going to take a break now because I don't want to start this story right before the break. Um, You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, ranting today about today's headlines and um, trying to, as I always do, give you a better way to look at these things, a deeper way to look at these things, rather than the little sound bites that we get in the news, and um, then to inspire you to try to think about and carry out uh, ways to improve some of these crazy, crazy things that are going on in our world. So, um, So stay tuned. We will have more Ranting at the Headlines. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about the headlines and going looking at them from a shrink's perspective. Um, you know, some of these things... Some of these headlines have got to just make you incredibly angry like they do me. I mean, to think that society has sunk in so many different ways. Now, before the break, I was saying we were going to talk about the, uh, about the um, uh, Roseburg, Oregon school shooting by Christopher Harper Mercer. He was a 26-year-old student. Um, he fatally shot an assistant professor and eight students. Nine other students were injured. He, it's interesting, you know, they um, did an autopsy, and at first they were saying uh, that uh, he, he died, the shooter died because he shot himself. 
And then it turned out, yes, he did shoot himself, but first... He was wounded by the police. I mean, you know, in, in these days of everybody being so super sensitive to, um, well, people trying to protect, some people trying to protect the police in terms of um, validating why it was okay for them to shoot people. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so at first, I mean, it was interesting that you know, there was all headlines, all news on the radio. It was over and over again, for example. Um, oh, he shot himself. He shot himself. <laughs> well, come to find out, <laughs> yeah, he shot himself, but he was wounded by the police. Now, not to say that the police are responding to this scene. Obviously, you know, we have a, a school shooter uh, who's continuing to shoot people. You do want to stop that. Um, I'm more, and so yes, they were certainly, uh, it was certainly appropriate for the police to shoot him, but I'm just kind of commenting on the media and how there's this spin to first, uh, let people know that, oh, he shot himself. All right. Um, now the thing about, uh, about Chris Mercer is that he is just like in many, in all the significant ways, like the previous school shooters that we all know <laughs> and don't love, um, and, and school shooters and mass shooters from James Holmes to Elliot Rogers to Adam Lanza to the Columbine shooters and to all of the ones in between. What do we have in the background, the dirty little secrets that are in the background of these people? They didn't just wake up one day, you know, they were perfect um, people, and then one day they woke up and decided, huh, I think I'm going to kill somebody or <laughs> kill a lot of people. Um, that's not how it works. How it works is that this, uh, and it's usually men, so this little boy grows up in an incredibly dysfunctional family. And there may be abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, uh, emotional abuse, um, either of them or of other family members, domestic violence. They see their father um, being violent towards their mother. Uh, generally, there is some kind of violence. Or, if not, um, and or, I should say, divorce. Did you, has anybody out there noticed? Hello? <laughs> all of these people, pretty much all of them, most of them, not all of them, um, I think the Columbine shooters, I don't think that they're parents, or at least not both of the sets of parents were divorced, but most of these shooters, like and James Holmes' parents weren't divorced, but Elliot Rogers' parents were divorced, um, Adam Lanza's parents were divorced, and, you know, there's a whole list. So, yet, it's so hard, these people who are, you know, shooting off their mouths, shooting, you get that, shooting off their mouths, um, talking about being pro or anti-guns, are, don't want to look at the significance, the scars that divorce leaves on kids. And why don't they want to look at that? Because many of them, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's long been a growing epidemic in our society, divorce. And so people don't want to believe that kids could actually be that scarred by divorce. It would make the kids that angry, um, that upset, that sad that this could lead down the road to them taking out their rage by killing other people. But, but if you just, I mean, it's, you know, if you look at um, the history, if you look at all the people 
all the shooters, um, that comes up in, in, in a more than coincident, coincidental number. And even, um, even, you know, not shooters, just to, for an aside, uh, Corey Monteith, the um, incredibly wonderful actor from uh, Glee, he committed suicide a few years ago. And um, his problems, he admitted, be, you know, before, before he committed suicide, he admitted that um, his, his downfall or his anger or his, up, his psychological um, meltdown began when his parents got divorced. Now, he didn't shoot anybody except, well, he killed himself. But, um, so he even admitted that. I mean, there is no way around this, folks. Um, when you are out there thinking about, you know, you're not happy with your significant other, this isn't what you thought you bought, you know, buyer's remorse, this isn't what you uh, signed up for, well, <laughs> you know, unless your significant other is, is a perpetrator of domestic violence or is a very heavy-duty uh, substance abuser and refuses to get treatment or, su- or is cheating on you, um, uh, more than once and, and, uh, and doesn't, you know, show signs of wanting to stop um, or you, you know, you feel that he, he may not stop. Um, I mean, you know, if he's not, well, let's put it this way, if he's not willing to get into treatment, um, then, which means that he's not going to stop, um, you know, these are all things that, okay, make it reasonable to contemplate divorce. But anybody... Um, who is thinking about divorce, if you have children, you have got to go into couples therapy for at least a year to try to salvage the marriage, whatever the problems are. Maybe in most cases, they're not as serious as domestic violence or abuse or, um, you know, something or, or a, a, a serial cheater. Um, you know, in most cases, it's just things that, that you know, you're not feeling, uh, giving, getting enough attention from your spouse, um, or the sex has, isn't good anymore, or, I mean, yeah, these are all important things, but you can work these things out in therapy. So, anyway, divorce is number one. That's the little boy who starts off, um, you know, um, Elliot Rogers, for example, his parents, you know, he was... It was clear that when his parents divorced, that was his downfall um, in the beginning of his meltdown. And then the other thing, when, there, when a little boy is in this family where there's either divorce or dysfunction or both, um, he is usually left on his own to spend time, or he hides, he escapes. You know, he doesn't want to be around uh, two parents arguing, for example. So he escapes into violent video games. And so now, first he's angry, he's feeling neglected, he's feeling hurt um, by his family, his parents getting divorced, or whatever they were doing that was very um, totally neglectful of him, you know, thinking of themselves. Um, and then he sits down with violent video games. A great example of that is uh, Adam Lanza, who was obsessed with video- violent video games. Um, and so what happens when someone is feeling angry or sad and they uh, become obsessed with violent... Well, first of all, they're more vulnerable to becoming obsessed with violent video games because they're angry. Um, and all these games do are exacerbate all of this anger and give the little boy a plot, a plot line to follow. This is how you kill people. Um, you know, in, in violent video games, you get points. For the more people you kill, the more points you get. 
So it's behavior modification. I mean, this is what psychologists do to get people to, um, uh, to change their behaviors. You reward certain behaviors and you, um, you know, sometimes that's enough. Sometimes you also punish the other behaviors. But basically you reward the behaviors that you want. So what could be a better example of violent video games that reward their players? And then next comes, if in fact the family thinks of, uh, or maybe a teacher thinks of, putting the, the little boy, um, who may now be a teen, um, but what, at whatever time, they think about putting the little the boy into um, therapy or into some kind of um, seeing a mental health professional. That, you know, the first thing is I think he should get evaluated by a mental health professional. Well, okay, that's great, except the problem is that our mental health system it has fallen apart. Um, primarily, the problem is that um, psychiatrists, primarily the problem is with psychiatrists. I mean, I, I am so tempted. I keep thinking of writing a book about all the cases that I worked on as an expert witness, you know, malpractice against psychiatrists, where because they only see the people, the patients, once a month or once every three months, and they just give them, they, they ask them what's going on briefly. These are 15 to 20 minute uh, med visits, they're called. And they ask the person what's going on. They give them some, a prescription. They walk out with a the prescription. There's no therapy. <laughs> they don't get to the bottom of, you know, what's bothering this person. For example, you know, they don't talk about the parents, the divorce of the parents of this future school shooter. Um, they just talk about symptoms, and then they give that person a prescription for a certain medication, and then they give them an appointment to come back um, in a month or two or three, and then when they come back, they focus on side effects, or did this make you feel better, did it not make you feel better, and chances are that it won't have made the person feel better because um, the psychiatrist didn't spend enough, and, and it's not just psychiatrists, I mean, it's even worse when it's a primary care doctor who doesn't know beans about uh, medication or symptoms or diagnoses, really, even though they pretend to. Um, and so they send the person out again, and when they come back, because they haven't done an in-depth evaluation to begin with, they don't really have a good idea about what medication is best, and since they haven't seen the patient a week later to be able to either um, see that the medication is giving side effects or isn't helping or, um, you know, the person has some new symptoms, I mean, you wait until a month or two or three, and by that time, in many cases, as I have testified about, the person is dead. They have committed suicide, they have, or they've gotten, um, they've killed somebody else, or they've gotten into all kinds of other uh, problems. And so, you know, anyone who needs medication needs to be in psychotherapy. And um, these people, oftentimes these people, although not always, but oftentimes these people are at the um, uh, lower level of, uh, of the socioeconomic scale, and so they don't necessarily get access to uh, better mental health professionals to begin with. Although, um, you know, you can't use that as an excuse for James Holmes' psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Lynn Fenton, who was clearly um, committing malpractice when she didn't hospitalize him after he was telling her about his fantasies of killing people. Um, instead, she told a security guard, and the security guard didn't do much, and, and she also called James Holmes' parents 
and um, left a message and um, never told them that he was having these fantasies about killing people, or else, as the mother has said, she would have come up um, to Colorado right away to see him and try to help him and try to make sure he gets treatment and so on. So she totally screwed that up. The deaths of the people from the uh, movie theater massacre are on her head, as well as James Holmes. Um, So... So it's the fa- so it's the combination of the dis- dysfunction, dysfunction or divorce in childhood in their in the parents, the violent video games, and the failing mental health system that you see time and time again. And um, these people, you know, who I was mentioning, uh, the James Holmes and Adam Lanza and so on, these were the heroes of Chris Mercer. He was he was studying them. He ad- he um, admitted that he was studying them. So, you know, this is just going to go on exponentially if more people are um, writing on the Internet about studying them or, or, you know, as there are more people to study, it is just going to increase exponentially. Well, we need to take a break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, so stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Um, I hope you are enjoying my rants at the headlines or at the people that the headlines talk about. As much as I enjoy doing them, there's some kind of satisfaction in trying to um, let people know what what the uh, what's behind all of these things, so that then we have a fair chance at trying to prevent them. So, just to spend a little more time on Christopher Sean Harper Mercer, the um, Roseburg, Oregon shooter, school shooter. Um, he was in the uh, introductory composition class that he came into and shot up. Uh, he was born in Los Angeles. His parents, his father was uh, white and British. His mother is black, or I shouldn't say was. His father is. <laughs> He's still white and still British. <laughs> um, his mother is black. 
and um, his parents divorced or separated or divorced after they were together only 11 months. And then he went to live with his mother, although they shared legal custody. Um, and his father, and then they moved to, they, they moved, they, when um, the parents separated, his mother, his father lived in Tarzana in the valley, and his mother moved to um, um, Torrance. And um, then his mother moved to Oregon for her work, so he went with her to Oregon. And now his father, it's, um, there are some reports that his father hadn't seen him for about two years. And this is the man who you may have seen on television. He comes out railing against guns, right? He, oh, this is all because of guns. Um, it's n- nothing to do with my horrible parenting, nothing to do with my not being involved in my son's life. It's the guns. Really? Lots of people have guns who um, aren't abandoned by their fathers and don't have messed up mothers um, as well who uh, don't go and, and shoot up, uh, create mass shootings. Now, what's interesting is that um, Mercer joined the Army in 2008. He was discharged after five weeks and, and the reason is given as failure to meet the minimum administrative standards of basic training. But um, actually, um, sources say <laughs> that um, it was the result of a suicide attempt. I mean, this was officials linked to the investigation. In other words, it was, um, that was why he was discharged from the Army, which if you were listening to the show that I did um, a couple of shows back about Bergdahl, uh, we have the same pattern there. These guys join the military, um, you know, for their fun after playing violent video games, their fondness for guns. The military would give them a, uh, a socially acceptable way of using them, um, and but then they, because they really have mental illness, they aren't able to stay in the military. Um, I mean, in, in Bergdahl's case, if you remember, it was, he was um, thrown out of the Coast Guard before he joined the Army. Then uh, Mercer went to the Switzer Learning Center, a school for teenagers with learning disabilities or emotional issues. And um, then when his mother, just like Adam Lanza's mother, um, was obsessed with guns, Mercer's mother was also obsessed with guns. She wrote online that she always kept full magazines in Glock pistols and an AR-15 rifle inside her home. There were 14 legally purchased weapons in their apartment. So, um, so we have all of the criteria, you know, all of the things. And, and um, he talked about how he studied um, mass killings. I mentioned that already. Also, one, one little clue was, I, I mean, besides people, everybody that was interviewed talked about how strange he was, um, and, and he walked around in combat fatigues, which is kind of a sign um, that you should at least look into the person's mental health since he wasn't in the Army anymore. Uh, he also wrote something online about lithium, love, love lithium. Lithium is given for a manic depressive illness, or, which is also called bipolar illness. But he really didn't seem as though that was his diagnosis. It seems as though perhaps he was schizophrenic or maybe schizoaffective, but it seemed like maybe he had been given lithium at some time, and that's how he knew to write about it. Well, enough about... Enough about the Oregon shooting. Let's have a little um, 
you know, will go from the not too sublime to the even more ridiculous. Um, I don't know if you've seen this story just came out about a woman who lives in New York, but she is suing her, um, her nephew in Connecticut. He lives in Connecticut, Westport, Connecticut. Um, she is suing her nephew, her nephew being 12 years old, for something that he did when he was 8 years old. She talks about um, how when, when, when he was 8, she went to his birthday party. Um, she is 54. And so, so four years ago, uh, she went to his birthday party, and he was very excited to see her. And he um, had, gotten a, had just gotten a new bike for his birthday, and he dropped it on the ground. He ran towards her calling Auntie Jen, Auntie Jen, and saying, I love you, Auntie Jen. And so he, he jumped, you know, he jumped on her, which probably wasn't a great, a great idea. I'll give her that. Um, but, you know, this was out of uh, his happiness to see her, not because he was trying to hurt her. Well, she claims that um, at the party she didn't say anything about, his, about the injury because she didn't want to ruin his party, right? She doesn't want to ruin his party four years ago, but now she sues him for $127,000. And this poor little boy, um, and there's no, you know, there is no evidence that that he, there was anything malicious um, or, and and the other thing is, if he had, so so she's claiming that he he broke her wrist, which perhaps he did, but um, it couldn't have been a very, severe break if this woman stayed at the birthday party, didn't tell anyone that she was injured, and just toughed it out um, until the party was over. And we don't know when, I don't know when she did finally go see a doctor. But um, she's, she's claiming, you know, she lives in a third floor walk-up apartment on the east side of Manhattan. And so she's claiming that it's hard for her to walk up the stairs, um, which doesn't really make sense because, I mean, unless she was holding on to both sides, but I mean, still, you you can get, a broken wrist can be treated, uh, especially if it was one that wasn't that severe at the party. So it seems like she's making a mountain out of a molehill and that there is some other reason, notably money, um, for her suing this 12-year-old boy who, by the way, lost his mother last year. She died. The little boy's mother. He's 12 years old. He's, he's described as looking confused in the courtroom as he's sitting with his father. And this aunt, who, um, you know, who he was so excited to see that he jumped up on her, um, now she's suing him. I mean, how do you think that's going to affect him for the rest of his life? Uh, it certainly will, will give him the message not to express love or exuberance towards women. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, maybe you shouldn't jump on them, but, um, but he was just, it was just an innocent, you know, he was at his party, he just got a bike, he was just being really excited. And um, so this is the result that you get sued. And she was also saying for why, you know, what her, you have to prove damages, not just to say that my wrist is broken, you have to prove how this affects your life. So she is quoted as saying, 
I was at a party recently, and it was difficult to hold my hors d'oeuvre plate. <laughs> really, that's why you should get $127,000 from your nephew. Her name is Jennifer Connell, and... Um, and I don't know, I would think that maybe this has something to do with, um, although she's, she's described as working as a human resources manager in Manhattan, so she can't be too poor. I mean, a, a third floor walk up on the Upper East Side is still expensive. <laughs> I know, I used to live on the Upper East Side, not in a third floor walk up. But, um, so okay, so she has a reasonable income, but presumably, or perhaps, the um, the nephew and her father, his father, um, ha- are more financially secure living in Westport, Connecticut. That is totally stereotypical, and I don't know whether that is true or not. But I'm just trying to surmise why someone in their right mind would would inflict this pain on their nephew, who they supposedly loved, uh, and who certainly loved her, four years after the fact. Uh, the only other thing that is that's a possibility besides the money is that, you know, some kind of family, I mean, there are family grudges and family squabbles and there might be some other reason why she was angry at his parents um, and that that's why she's using this as an excuse to sue him. Perhaps um, this will all come out as the trial moves on, but I think it's a pretty sad, sick thing to do. Um, There are a lot of sad, sick things in the news these days. Let's see, what else can I tell you about? Um, One of the things that that is really sad is, um, is the suicide of Jim Carrey's ex-girlfriend, Catriona White. And this is a really, really tough story to, you know, have an opinion about. Um, I mean, there are a lot of kind of conflicting elements to it. At first, when I heard about it, um, I was really upset that bad Jim Carrey, how could he break up with this girl? Um, this was the third, it was, she killed herself, first of all, she killed herself with pills um, that were prescribed in the name uh, in, in an alias for Jim Carrey, which is really very interesting because um, she knew that that would, uh, that, that when she suicided, that that would be reported in the news and that he could get in trouble, you know, for, uh, I don't know, not, not keeping them safer or for certainly be investigated for how she got her hands on these three bottles of pills and he didn't know it, or maybe he did know it. Um, but he should have known, in, in my opinion, that... And, he, and so he broke up with her. First they went to a uh, birthday celebration in Nobu in Malibu, and, which is a beautiful, uh, fancy restaurant by the, right overlooking the water. And, um, and it was to celebrate her birthday. And, and they were looking very cozy <laughs> there. They were looking as if they were in love. And, um, and then a few days later, he broke up with her. So at the time, she was not only dealing with the breakup, which of course made her heartbroken, but um, her mother apparently that week 
um, had been writing to her about how she, about how um, Catriona is a failure, which, you know, I don't understand really. She was a makeup artist in L.A. I mean, she was an aspiring actress. Um, perhaps the mother was upset that she hadn't yet become an actress. Um, you know, she hadn't yet gotten any work as an actress. Um, but that had happened, and it was also the third, that, that two days before uh, she suicided, it was her, the third anniversary of her father's death, and she was really, really close to her father. Um, so obviously all of these sad, tragic things were going on in her mind, and Jim Carrey breaks up with her. Now, I don't know, do we, we don't know, or I don't know, if he knew about the letters from her mother saying she was a failure, I would imagine he knew that this was the week of her father's death, the third anniversary. I mean, that is not the ideal time to break up with your girlfriend. Well, we'll come back to that after the break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about the headlines, a shrink's perspective on the headlines, um, ranting about some of the crazy, awful, sick things that people are doing, painful things, things where they hurt each other. Uh, before the break, I was talking about Jim Carrey, his girlfriend, uh, Catriona White, an Irish uh, young woman from Tipperary, Ireland, um, was found dead September 28th, and um, she committed suicide with pills that were in bottles prescribed to Jim, aliases of Jim. Um, the story is that um, they started dating in 2012, and they broke up. Um, it's not 100% clear who broke up with who at that time, um, but she, I would think that he broke up with her because she then seems to have gone into a uh, rebound relationship, and she married a man 
in Las Vegas. That's why I say it seems to have been a quickie rebound relationship. Um, and uh, he is, this, this, this man that she married, is a Scientologist. And in fact, she is, they, they have been long separated, but she is still officially married to him, which, um, you know, might have been part of the problem because she actually was on an expired visa and perhaps this husband had some power over her because as long as she was married to an American that um, could well have given her um, the ability to stay in the States, which she, you know, which she wanted to do, one, because she wanted to be in Hollywood. Um, she was successful as a makeup artist. She wanted to be an actress. So she wanted to stay here. And um, although she would have wanted to get divorced in order to be able to be with Jim Carrey, um, she might well have been, or it seems that she was, um, sort of caught um, in a trap, you know, that she, uh, not being able to uh, divorce the first man, although there might be some legalities, and I would think that Jim Carrey could pull some legal strings and if he were to marry her quickly. Anyway, I don't know. Um, I haven't gotten. I don't know about the legalities of that. But in any case, she was obviously very troubled. Um, and so after they uh, went out for her birthday, um, he broke up with her. And so perhaps, I mean, there have been some reports that it was because of her being involved with Scientology, which presumably she did in order to keep her husband happy, um, so that he wouldn't divorce her, so that she wouldn't be sent back to Ireland. I'm sure all these. This is my speculation based on the facts that I already know, but more might well be coming out. Um, There are some things that came out today about um, friends of Jim's, I guess, who are saying now, and we don't know if this is, they're just trying to, they're just saying this to uh, sort of cover for him or make him not look like the big big bad boy who broke up with her at such a vulnerable time when, uh, you know, whenever it's an anniversary of a death, particularly your parents' death, uh, it could be three years ago that they died or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you're always uh, on that day, before, actually during that time, before and after, it's always on your mind, and you're always sad and more vulnerable. And so this was not the time for Jim to break up with her, even if um, he had you know, good reason in his mind. But as I, as I was starting to say, I mean, such as Scientology, not wanting to get involved with that and so on, but as I started to say, um, his, some of his friends are, are, are saying that he didn't intend to, when he, when he said whatever he said that, that constituted in her mind a breakup, that he didn't mean a breakup forever, that he was wanting to take a break. <laughs> you know that line. Ladies, you know that line. <laughs> Let's, I think we should take a break. <laughs> or it's not just ladies. Women say that to men, too. I think we should take a break. Well, we all know that when um, a boyfriend or girlfriend says, I think we should take a break. That is not good. That is, you know, that seems like the gentle way of, real, you know, the euphemistic way of saying, I want to break up with you, or, or, you know, I'm just kind of breaking it to you slowly, but down the road, I'm planning on breaking up with you. But anyhow, so I was all angry at, at 
big bad boy, Jim Carrey, until um, I, you know, found out about some of these other things, the Scientology and so on. Um, but also, if you've seen pictures of him in Ireland, she, well, first of all, she left a suicide note to him that said, Jim, I love you. Please forgive me. Now, that's an interesting suicide note because, um, you know, she knows that he is this big celebrity and that if she writes a note like that, it is going to um, get into the press. So it really seems like a passive-aggressive way of letting everybody know that she killed herself because he broke up with her. Um, She also wrote, I am not for this world. And it's interesting because Jim had said, probably after he read her suicide note, that she was too delicate, too vulnerable, um, too sweet for for this world. Which, you know, I mean, it is true that when people come from Ireland or anywhere in Europe, um, or anywhere for that matter, Kansas or, um, you know, places in the United States, other than Hollywood, um, Hollywood is a really tough town, and um, it is hard to uh, have a thick enough skin, especially if you're trying to be an actress or even be a makeup artist and work in that field. You have to have a really thick skin. And she said, and he said, that um, she was too, too soft for this world. Um, of course, it's kind of a play on this world, this world meaning the living world, and this world meaning Hollywood. Um, so um, she also asked him in her note to take care of her burial and hand out her assets to her family. And as I was starting to say, you know, I I was really, uh, really felt um, that he should have known better and that this was a very cruel and heartless thing to do to break up with her at this time. Um, But if you saw pictures of uh, Jim Carrey in Ireland um, at her funeral and he was carrying, he was one of the pallbearers, there's a, there's a a picture um, of him um, several pictures of him, and, and uh, you know, I'm sure it was on television also. I just happened to see the pictures on the Internet. Um, pictures of him being the pallbearer where he looked like uh, he was so, I mean, grief-stricken doesn't do it justice. Um, he looked like, like he felt guilty, like he felt tragically sad, like he felt um, he would do anything to go back, rewind, and not have broken up with her. And also he looked like he was realizing just how much she meant to him and how he really didn't want to break up with her, how, how you know, he wanted her in his life. I mean, granted, there were all these other problems, but, um, but you could just see that it was hitting him. Um, his, ex- his expression was just amazing. And no, I don't think he was acting. What was also interesting was how um, people in Ireland weren't all making a fuss, looking, weren't even looking at him. Whereas in America, if Jim Carrey had been in a funeral, you know, everybody, there'd be the paparazzi. Anyhow, that's all the um, headlines we have time for today. But it certainly was a, uh, a wide range that I presume made you feel a lot of different emotions. It certainly made me feel a lot of different emotions. And I hope you will pass this on 
Um, you know, some of these comments, have some conversations with your friends and loved ones and so on, and take whatever in particular, especially, uh, is relevant to your life um, to think twice about some of these things, whether it's divorce or whether it's breaking up with someone when they're in a vulnerable state or whether it's keeping guns in your house. Again, where they have where someone who has mental problems has access to them. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 